message, and this whole month has been called Legacy Month. Um, so every message that has been going on since the beginning of February has all been um, all of my husband's messages, and uh, and it was a uh, how would you say? I haven't even. I'm going on ten years that my husband has gone home to be with the Lord, and I had not yet listened to any of his messages. So this was a real challenge for me because I had not listened to him. I, I just didn't want to hear his voice. But as I started listening, I'm like, hey, I like his voice. Yeah, you know, I think I could do this. <laughs> it just, it, it took a long time, but I'm so grateful to the Lord that I got challenged um, to be able to do this because this was a real challenge for me. And, and I think I'm, I can do this. I'm, I'm like the little train that could. I, could, I think I can, I think I can. <laughs> 1 Peter 3, 7, it says this, In the same way you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should, so your prayers will not be hindered. Go ahead and have a seat this morning. Those of you who are sitting next to your spouse, keep your elbows to yourself. <laughs> this is a non-elbow sermon. Fourteen years ago, my husband spoke this message on an Easter Sunday. And it was totally out of the box since everyone that came to Easter was expecting a resurrection type of a message. But if you knew my husband, you knew that he was not an ordinary man. And you could never predict what he was going to do. He thought and lived out of the ordinary. He would, you know, there was really um, so different about him is that he would get the title of the message before he got the message. God would give him the, the title, and then he'd say, okay, God, now I need the message. He was just very, he was, I told him his mind was backward, but um, he was just so creative that it was, he was very unique. One of the things that we had in common, we had a lot of things in common, but w one of the funnest things that we had in common was that we both loved baseball. And we were pretty Two pretty strong individuals. I'm the oldest of nine. My husband was the oldest of eight. And we had grown up telling everybody else what to do. So when we got married, we tried to tell each other what to do. And it just didn't work. Um, I, was gonna, I was debating on telling this story because I just kind of wanted to let you know how headstrong we both were. <laughs> I have so many stories, but we, we were married, oh, I don't know, maybe about, um, could have been about maybe, oh, not even a year, because uh, we got married in, in May, so for his birthday, uh, I got him some Dodger tickets, which was like the best thing that you could ever do is, you know, get Dodger tickets, so... Um, so here I am, I'm the secretary of the church, and I'm working in the office. And at 
we lived about 15 minutes the other way. So this is where we lived. This is the church office, and this is Dodger Stadium. And I had to go home early, and so I'm home. But my husband's at the office with the Dodger tickets. So I'm telling him, you know, you got to come pick me up. And he's going, I don't have enough gas. <laughs> and I'm like, you better come pick me up. <laughs> and he's like, I can't. I don't have enough gas. I only have enough gas to get to Dodger Stadium. And I'm like, oh, no, you don't. I bought those tickets. You better come back. And he's like, if you remember, you, I, I can't, I can't, I, I got to go, I got to go, bye. And I was like, oh, no, he isn't. And I just, I, I waited, and I waited. The game starts at 7.05. At 6 o'clock, he had not shown up. And the office is closed. This was before cell phones, okay? You couldn't get a hold of them. Once, once they were out of the office, it was done. There was no way to get a hold of them. So I'm like, okay. He left, all right? So I called my neighbor next door because I looked out and I saw her car. And I said, can I borrow your car? She goes, yeah, where are you going? I go, I'm going to a Dodger game. She said, well, I thought you were supposed to go with your husband. I said, you know what? He left me, but I'm going. <laughs> I don't care. I'm going. So I got, I borrowed her car, drove to Dodger Stadium, got there about 7.30 because I was late, and, um, and I bought my ticket there at Dodger Stadium. 58,000 people are in Dodger Stadium. It was packed out. It was one of those sold-out games. I don't know how I got a ticket, but I just went with just faith. I'm going to get a ticket. I'm going to get in. And so I went, got a ticket, and out of the whole stadium, I got a ticket about 10 rows down from where my husband was. It was the weirdest thing. I'm walking into Dodger Stadium, and I just happened to turn to my left, and I saw him sitting there with, with Valentina's Nino. He took him. <laughs> and I, I, I just looked, and I went, hello. And I walked all the way down to the first row. And it was like I was cracking up on the inside. I said, God, you are too funny. Out of all the places in the seats, you got me right here. So anyway, I said all that to say that this message is on marriage. And we learned some very hard lessons in marriage. And this is the reason why my husband spoke on marriage, especially on Easter. He entitled this message, Baseball. And I, I brought this because this was his illustration with this vase. Um, we received this vase 37 years ago when we got married. And I've kept it all these years. And it's still in good condition because I've taken care of it. And that's exactly what my husband used 14 years ago 
because of the care that was taken, it still looks new. Leave that there. The Bible says that women are the weaker vessel. And the Greek word for vessel is vas, or another word where we get the word vase, which is a vase. And that's why he brought that, because every woman should be treated like an expensive vase, should be cared for, and should be shown. Baseball is something that is very important in marriage, because it has a lot of different analogies, which I'm going to be able to bring up. Recently, marriage became a hot topic in Hollywood. I don't know how many of you watched the Oscars, but Ben Affleck gave an Oscar speech when he won, him and George Clooney and another guy won for Best Picture Argo. And he got behind, I was going to say the pulpit, he got behind the mic and, and he thanked his wife for all the work that she had put into 10 years of Christmases in their marriage. And right after the Oscars were over, oh my gosh, media had a field day. And they started putting Ben Affleck down. How dare he call marriage work? How dare he put that on the same level as a job? And all I can say is anybody who's ever been married, you know marriage is work. How many can you say amen? But he did say it's the best kind of work. In fact, when I do premarital counseling, I let them know that if they don't want to die daily, don't get married. Because marriage is about dying every day. In order to make it work, you got to die. This message that my husband preached was a part of a dysfunctional family series. And he spoke about King David and the dysfunction in his family and yet how God used him so greatly. Thank God that dysfunction does not disqualify us from his work. Hallelujah. How many of you can say amen? amen. I don't know anyone in this room who did not come from a dysfunctional family. Um, I, I think it's just it's hilarious how God picks the people that he chooses because if you look at their families, like, how in the world did they come out of there? Victory Outreach has many dysfunctional families, and yet God has saw fit to pour his anointing on our ministry. And just like David, when it comes to family, we've, as parents, We've made mistakes with our children. And as a king, David's failures were exposed to the whole kingdom. Everyone saw the mistakes that he made with his wife, and everyone saw the mistakes that he made with his children. And David paid a heavy price for the decision that he made as a husband and as a father. But one thing that he had going for him is that he was a man of vision. He kept that vision focused. And this is actually one of Victory Outreach's strongest points. We are people of vision. Our founder, Pastor Sonny, is a mighty man of vision. His middle name is Sonny Vision Argonzoni. He has been a visionary since as long as I've known him. For the last more than 40 years, he has been a man of vision. 
that you have reached Hayward is a visionary church. My husband was a visionary, and he started this church with a vision I could not understand and know what he had in his mind. He saw things that had not yet taken place. He saw the, you know, things that, the, the power of a surrendered life. He saw people in this city and within the surrounding areas. As a matter of fact, there's a woman here. Her name is Cindy. Her husband was the first man that we ever put into the home back in 1981. And she's still here. So, I, you know, I'm so grateful that the seeds that were sown way back then are still blossoming. They're still producing. We were, have been able to send men and women to start churches in the Philippines and, and South Africa. And, and you know what? We have only just begun because my son is going to be able to take this church into a whole different and greater level. The world is actually getting smaller and smaller. I mean, when I remember when my husband and I moved from L.A. to San Francisco, uh, to this, you know, San Francisco Bay Area, we just thought it was so far. I mean, really so far because it took, we left L.A. at 6 o'clock at night and we didn't get here until 6 o'clock in the morning. We just said, oh, my gosh, this is so far. Well, we were driving a big old U-Haul and, you know, my husband wasn't, really good at driving a big old truck, so it just took us forever. We were driving 35 all the way up to 5. <laughs> yeah, it took us a long time. Seven just turned 2, and he was hyper, jumping all the way, didn't sleep. And I, I am not a night person, so him and my husband just talked and laughed and played games the whole way. But I do know this. Sometimes the vision that we may have can consume us. And it can consume us to the point that we have such a vision for the world and such a vision for lost people that we fail to love the person that is the most important, and that's our spouse. I'm talking to husbands who are sitting next to the person that they should value the most, their wife. Sometimes the vision to have a position or to have a title may consume you more than the vision to see the heart of your wife. To see your wife's heart is to be able to know what they need, to be able to see where and why they hurt. You may have a big vision for the world, but what about your wife? My heart has broken this week because I have read two Facebooks of PKs that are hurting because their parents are winning the world and they're lost. And nothing hurts more than, you know, my heart loves PKs. Maybe because I raised three PKs, but more because they have such a unique position within the church. Everybody looks at them. They have, you know, when my children were growing up, they had 200 aunts and uncles. Everybody thought they were their aunt and uncle, and they could all discipline them. And, and it, was, uh, it wasn't that, you know, easy for them. But as God has given each man a vision, you need to be able to utilize it in your home. Because sometimes that vision 
is for your career. Sometimes that vision is for building up your bank account or your retirement account. Sometimes it's for making a name for yourself. But what about your wife? If God has given you a vision, then you should be able to focus on the person who sleeps next to you every night. The Bible says, what is a profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? And my husband, I turn that around. What is a profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his wife? It has happened. How sad that a mighty man of valor should gain title, position, prestige, and accolades and lose his wife and his family. What a compromise. This scripture is from Peter. And Peter is talking to every man in this verse. Peter is saying, take care of your wife. See, Peter was a married man. He wasn't just talking from theology or theoretically. He was a married man. He knew about being a husband. He knew about being the spiritual leader in the home. And Peter admonished men to live with their wives with understanding, with knowledge, with consideration. To be honest, most men do not consider their wives when they make plans. They make a plan, and then their wives go, uh, you know, you know how many times I used to find out what we were doing from the pulpit? <laughs> right, Chella? You, you don't know how many years. See, this was before iPhones, before cal I had to carry my calendar to church so that I could know what we were doing for the week. Because he would tell the church, and I would be like, hello, I spent the whole morning with you. I spent all yesterday with you. And he forgot to tell me, but when he got behind the pulpit, he remembered. Most men don't take the time to know their wives, to understand them. At some point, husbands just give up. They think their wives are just too complicated. But when you were dating, you could not know enough she couldn't, you couldn't gaze into her eyes long enough. She could not share enough because you wanted to know everything about her. But now that she has your ring on her finger, you think you know everything about her. Wrong. For me, one of the saddest indictments against men is found in the Bible in the story of Jacob and Rachel. The Bible tells us that Jacob loved Rachel. The minute he saw her, he was like, I'm going to marry that woman. He loved her. The Bible says that he started to make a bargain with her uncle. I want to marry her. And he says, well, if you want to marry her, you're going to have to work for me seven years. He goes, not a problem. Bible says that seven years was like nothing. Seven years of working in the field. Seven years of taking care of cattle. Seven years of taking care of sheep. Seven years every day working. They didn't have, you know, uh, shows or theaters or they didn't have any of that. He, they just lived there. And for seven years, Jacob saw Rachel. For seven years, because he lived there. They were apart, but he lived there. 
For seven years, he saw her. For seven years, he knew how tall she was. For seven years, he knew her smell. For seven years, he knew the shape of her body. For seven years, he knew the softness of her skin. For seven years, he lived in the same place with Rachel. What an indictment against men when the wedding day came and he slept with her sister. You think you know your wife? No, you don't. He should have known. I don't care what anybody says. He should have known. No two women, sisters, are exactly alike. They smell different. They look different. They act different. They laugh different. They talk different. How long have you known your wife? You think you know her? Peter knew marriage, and Peter knew ministry. If there was ever a Christian man who knew the, e the male ego, it was Peter. Because Peter was a man's man. Peter is the biblical example that is used for this message. Peter exemplifies the husband who makes mistakes. Peter was mistake prone. He was the classic man who had the I don't care attitude. I don't care. See, a lot of men do things and have the attitude of, so what? For a woman, this attitude is scary, and it also breeds insecurity. When her husband has that so what attitude, that kind of macho attitude of I don't care reproduces itself, and then you have a wife that's insecure, and then you have children that are insecure. And then they grow up with that, well, if my dad doesn't care, and I'm not going to care. And some of you became drug addicts and alcoholics and gang members because someone in your family had that attitude of, I don't care. Because if they didn't care, why should you care? When we don't care, we make bad decisions. The thing is, majority of women do care. So when they're living with a man that has that attitude of, I don't care, it hurts. And it hurts deeply. And the Bible says that pride always comes before a fall. Peter was a man who did not think before he spoke. He would speak and not even think of the consequences. See, I'm talking about the Peter before Christ. I'm talking about the Peter before the resurrection. After Christ rose, thank God, Peter changed. Thank God for the resurrection. But the man before was someone who would act and say things and not even consider the consequences. Why? Because he was a man. He was tough. He could handle whatever came up. He was the man. But when you get married, every decision you make is not all about you anymore. It affects your wife and it affects your children. It's just not about you. See, Peter was an impulsive man. When the soldiers came to arrest Jesus, he pulls out his blade and he cuts off the ear of Malchus the servant, because he was impulsive. He just did things. When we were first married, there were many things my husband did because he thought he was right. See, Peter thought he was right when he cut off the ear of Malchus. My husband did things because he thought he was right. He was the man. And he was wrong, but he thought he was right. 
See, my husband was not a man who would take someone cutting him off on the freeway very lightly. Not that there's anybody in here like that. But if somebody cut him off, he would go after him. Yeah. My kids experienced that. Unfortunately, they had, he, he was still like that when they were grown. And I would have to remind him, Pastor Steve, Pastor Steve, you're a pastor. I don't care, I don't care. That guy cut me off. He shouldn't have done that. <laughs> pastor Steve, hello. And I would be waving my hands, hello, earth to pastor. But he was impulsive, just like Peter. What about those pre-resurrection days? Some of you wives have been with your husband before his life was surrendered to Christ. And many of you can say, thank God Christ came into his life. But some of you are still waiting to see that change. Some of you are still waiting for that I don't care attitude to be kicked out the door. See, in 1 Peter 3, 7, Peter is a changed man. And this is why he can tell every husband to be considerate, to know and understand and live with their wife as the weaker vessel. But sometimes, sometimes men treat their wives just like a base in baseball. They jump on it. They kick it. Because, you know, when you get on base, because now it's your base, you got to first base, and so you, you're standing there, you kick it, you jump on it, you move it, you just do all that, because why? That's your base. And some of you are doing that to your wives. You jump, and you slide in cleats first, desiring that your wife submit to whatever you want. The worst thing a man can do the absolute worst thing that a man can do is to use scripture on his wife. When a man says, the Bible says you are to submit, what he's saying is, the Bible says you're supposed to do what I tell you to do. I remember when my husband told me those words. The Bible says you are to submit. See, I knew my worth. And because I came right back at him. And I says, and the Bible also says that you are to treat your wife like Jesus treated the church. And Jesus died for it. So are you ready to die? <laughs> I think that was the last time we started using, we stopped using scripture. <laughs> See, men can be insensitive and they can be a little inconsiderate. And most of the time, Men fail to see the hurts and the fears that are being created within their wife. And most of the time, she's afraid to tell you because of your reaction. She's afraid. She can't count on you being the same. Because whatever goes on at your job, you bring it home. And if they, the boss got on you at your job, then you bring that home. And you kick the dog and you, you know, kick the cat. No, they won't let you. They'll run. But you bring all of that home. Somebody cuts you off on the freeway, you're mad. So, you know, there's not enough gas in the car, you're mad. And so you bring all of that. And there are wives who live in fear compounded by insecurities. 
There was a song in the 60s, and my husband sang it on the tape. You'll hear it. And it was entitled, Treat Her Like a Lady. And the verse goes on to say, treat her like a lady and she'll be good to you. And in the 60s, you know, guys would get together and, you know, most of the guys back then, they knew all the words to this song. But again, they didn't treat their wives like ladies. They were just words with no action behind them. See, I don't know how you treat your wife, but when we were first married, I got treated like one of the guys. I grew up in a neighborhood where my, the, young, the sister that's next to me is five years younger, so I didn't hang out with her. I hung out with my brothers because they were my age. So that meant my brother was in the gang, so I hung out with the guys of the gang. And I grew up playing football and baseball, and, and, and if they didn't let me play, I would go cry to my dad, and my dad would come out and say, if your sister can't play, you can't play. And it would be like, oh, so I always got to play. <laughs> Consequently, I got treated like one of the guys, which meant they taught me a lot of things. They taught me how to cap. I knew how to cap like, like the best of them. But there's something unique about guys. Because let's just say that it's one of the guys' birthdays. And they all kind of get together after. That guy's not going to say, man, you guys, you forgot my birthday, man. Because that's just not what guys do. They're like, what's the matter with you? You're a girl or what? It's not that big of a thing. But when husbands forget those special days, your wife gets hurt. The first birthday that we had, my husband and I, we were married, and he came home, and we hadn't uh, seen each other all day because he had gone to the jails or the prisons, and I had worked in the office, and we came home, and there we are, and I'm looking at the clock, and he's not home, and 8 o'clock, 8.15, 8.30, he walks strolling in the door, 20 to 9, and he just took one look at me and goes, what's wrong? Nothing. Famous words of every wife, right? Nothing. No, what's wrong? Nothing. Okay, just tell me what is wrong. I said, did you forget what today was? And he goes, what's today? I go, forget it. He goes, no, really, what's today? Uh, February 28th, he went, oh, I'll be right back. <laughs> At that time, it's 15 minutes to 9. I'm like, forget it. Just forget. I don't even want anything. He goes, I'll be right back. He sped like a madman down to Montgomery Wards. <laughs> Those of you who remember Montgomery Wards. He went over there, and he came back, and he was so apologetic, and so, I'm so sorry, and I don't know how I could do this. And, you know, he was a guy, just not really planning or preparing. And I know that it may not have been a big thing for the guys, but for me and for women, it means a lot. Guys, you need to treat your wife like the tender gender that she is. Because, see, guys love to cap. And they love to put each other down. And that's just what they do. They all get together and they laugh at, at each other and Let's just say one of the guys is wearing something funny, and they go, hey, where'd you get that? From the Blue Light Special, and 
you know, did you raid your grandmother's attic or what? And they'll just, you know, keep on going on and on and on. And they'll just crack jokes all night long. Because that's just what guys do. But the sad thing is that some of you do that to your wife. You expect her to be tough when you make jokes about her, when you put her down, when you forget about her. You expect her to take it like a man, and she's not. You can get years of sermons from 1981 all the way to about 1996, and I think I was used in every message as an illustration. And they were not great illustrations. They were funny illustrations that everybody would crack up and then they would look at me to see how I was looking. <laughs> Every illustration was a put down. And it was hurtful. And I would tell my husband, you know what? That really hurt me. And he would say, but but did you see how God used you today? Did you see the altar call? It was packed. People gave their lives to the Lord. They were weeping. See how God used you? <laughs> True. Those were the difficult years. Those were the years that he was still learning how to live with me with understanding. He hadn't learned that those illustrations hurt deep and that they were affecting me. And husbands, I have to tell you, sometimes you don't have to say anything hurtful. Sometimes you'll just say, oh, is that what you're going to wear? What, you don't like, no, 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 I'm just asking, is that what you're going to wear? Okay. Is that how your hair is? Oh, what, you don't like it? No, 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 just, just, just asking. Those little things, those little innuendos, they hurt. Men, just like Peter, you need to learn to think before you talk. Not thinking can cause your wife hurt. And then you blame her for the way that she reacts. And you blame her for the way that she avoids you. And you're like, what did I do? You know, I, I would trip out on my husband. He would do stuff, and then I would, I would get hurt, and he would go, what's wrong with you? And i go, well, did you forget what you said? And he goes, that was five minutes ago. Get over it. And I'd be like, okay. See, he expected me like one of the guys. See, guys, they don't, they don't say, man, you kept on my pants, man. They don't do that. They just get over it. Some things are just better left unsaid. You don't have to say everything, husbands. You really don't. Your wife is the weaker vessel. And when you look at some women, you may think that they're totally independent, that they got it all together. But in reality, no wife wants to be independent. They really don't. Men can find themselves shipwrecked. They can find themselves at dead ends. They can find themselves lost. You know, you go around, you see the same gas station three times. Do you know where we're going? I know where I'm going. Don't worry about it. Because they don't ask for directions. Somehow, some way, men find their way out. Don't ask me how, they just do. 
And men can continue without the strokes of love and affection. Not that they don't want it, but they can continue to go on even if they don't get it. But women, on the other hand, they need that love. They need that attention. They need that care. They need that tenderness. Ephesians 5, 25, 28, and 33, it says this, the same thing. In 25, for husbands, this means love your wife. In verse 28, in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives. In verse 33, in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives. The reason that the Bible gives admonition to the husbands to love their wives is because men forget. And he has to tell them within five verses, men, love your wives. Oh, men, love your wives. Oh, yeah, men, love your wives. Oh, because you know what? They forgot. From one verse to the next, they forgot. It's within every woman to be able to give and receive love. So that's why Paul has to keep repeating himself. Because women don't forget to love. Men forget to love. You can never give your wife enough love. They need all of that love and attention and affirmation. And Paul knows the male mentality. That's why he repeats himself so much. See, when a father is taking care of his children, notice I didn't say when a father is babysitting his children because a father doesn't babysit. They care for their children. Don't ever let me hear a father saying, oh, yeah, I'm babysitting my kids. Do you get paid? A father cares for his children. But there's something unique about a father because, see, when a father's taking care of his children, he'll forget to feed them until he gets hungry. <laughs> the kids will go all day long, and then they'll go, oh, man, I'm hungry. Oh, you haven't eaten either. <laughs> a father will forget that they're thirsty because he's not thirsty. A father will forget that... They probably need some clothes on. They're running around with a diaper or just a onesie or, because he's cool. He's fine. He's not cold. A man waits for the need to show up in his life, and then he'll react. See, women don't need that to happen to their life. They're just made a little bit more sensitive. Most men are just content to be by themselves with the clicker. They don't need to talk. They don't need to be invited places like, oh, they didn't invite me. That's fine. Click. They just want to be left alone in their little man cave with their TV and their videos and their hobbies. Those TVs and videos and hobbies, some of them get more attention than your wife. See, why do men have caves and women don't? Only men have caves. Because men can zone everything out and everyone out. I remember I was telling this story yesterday to the girls. We were married about a year. And when we got married, I had my own car, my own apartment, uh, my credit card. I had, I'm 20 years old and I already had everything because I had left home at 17. So I had pretty much everything. My husband brought into our marriage a paper bag of clothes. Truth. That's all he brought in. Not a fork, not a knife, not a towel, a paper bag of his clothes. That's all he had was just a paper bag of clothes. So everything in the house was mine. 
everything. And I remember that, you know, there was one Saturday that I wanted to talk to him. But he wanted to go into his cave. You know, and this is before remotes. So it would be like, you know, I'm walking by. Can you turn the TV? Because, you know, somebody in the house had to be the remote control. <laughs> and there's only him and me. So he didn't want to get up off the couch. So can you change the TV? You're like, well, yeah, but I want to talk to you. Oh, it's all right. Just change the TV. I'll talk to you after commercial. And I was feeling alone, and he's sitting right there. My husband was a sports fanatic. He could watch baseball, football, golf, swimming, track, frisbee, anything that was a sport, he would watch it. Didn't matter what it was. And he would, you know, this is black and white days. And, you know, he would just, he would watch anything that, that was a sport. And, and, and I wanted to talk. I really wanted to talk. And, and it was important to me, and I can't remember what it was about, but it was important at that time. And all he wanted to do was watch TV. He just wanted to be in his cave. And after several, well, wait, wait till commercial. Well, wait till, well, you missed the commercial. Now it's on again. And, you know, so what I did is I just got frustrated. And I picked up a vase. <laughs> and I threw it at the TV. And the TV exploded. I, that's, it shocked me because I didn't expect it to explode. I didn't expect all the you know, sparks and everything, because it was plugged in the wall, and it just blew up. It literally blew up. And, uh, yeah, a little violent. Anyway, <laughs> he was like, what'd you do that for? And I turned and go, it was my TV anyway. And I walked out. <laughs> We both had a lot to learn. When my husband first got saved, he used to always tell people, you can throw me in the hole in Folsom Prison, just give me a Bible and I'll be okay. And that was okay when he was single. But then we're married. And he used to tell people, man, just throw me in the hole in Folsom Prison with the Bible and I'll be okay. And I'm like, hello? And after several years, he was still saying this. And the thing is, he meant it. He really meant it. He was saved, and he was grateful for, grateful for his salvation. But those words I couldn't understand, because I don't know what a hole in Folsom Prison is. And I don't know what it is to be behind bars. So all I knew is that he wants to go to jail rather than live with me. See, that was my interpretation. That's how women take those remarks. He's over here, I just want to be a diehard for Jesus. And he wanted to show people how diehard he was. And I'm over here saying, oh, you want to go to jail rather than live with me? Well, then fine, go to jail. Who cares? I don't need you. And there would be a whole argument. <laughs> the five needs that women have, men, our number one affection, they need some tenderness. They really do need tenderness. They need for you to just sometimes, I don't know how many of you have your wives have ever told you, just hold me. Nothing else, just, just hold me. And you're like, but, but, just hold her. That's it. And, and you know, it took a while, but 
my husband got to that point where he would be, he would, and, and see, this is where it, the tables got turned. Because, you know, once I'm focused on my work, don't interrupt me. So I, I'd be in my computer, and I'd be working, or I'd be reading and studying, and he goes, stand up, I want to give you a hug. And I go, later, 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 no, no, now, no, later, no, now. And we'd have a big old argument because he wanted to give me a hug. So the thing is, when I would stop, and I would say, oh, all right, like, hurry up so you can go. When he did give me that hug, I realized that's what I really needed. Because it's almost like, and then everything, and then he goes, okay, now you can go back to work. And some of you husbands, you just need to do that. Whatever your wife may do, just stop her and just say, I want to give you a hug. And you don't know how much tension you're going to release from her from whatever she's doing just by giving her a hug. Secondly, your wife needs conversation. Not the kind of conversation that you have with the guys. It's a different conversation. After God, it's your wife, okay? You know how you could always tell when you walk into a restaurant who's married? Because those are the ones that aren't talking. They're looking at their food. And they're looking at everybody else. Whereas the ones that are dating, they're like, oh, yeah, and then what else? Uh-huh. And then <laughs> they're looking into each other's eyes. But all the married couples are like, oh, I've been there, done that. Okay, what else? Your wife needs conversation. They really do. They need for you to talk to them. And when my husband and I would have date night, we would put boundaries. And for every time it was violated, we'd, we'd pay $5. $5 for every time somebody mentioned the kids. $5 for every time somebody mentioned something in the ministry. Because it was not about kids, and it was not about ministry. It was only about me and him. I used to win all the time. <laughs> I'd come home with money. <laughs> because we would, you know, we'd slip. It took a while, but we finally got the hang of it. Because sometimes when you're involved in ministry, and I think it's the greatest thing to be involved in ministry, but sometimes ministry can be the glue. And it should never be the glue that holds couples together. Jesus is what holds you together, not ministry. So when you have to resort to always talking about ministry or always talking about the kids, what about me and you? What, what have you changed in? What do you like? What, you know, and find, because your wife and your husband are changing all the time, every day. I used to be amazed at some of the things that one day my husband would say, well, no, I don't like that anymore. What do you mean you don't like that? You always like that. Well, no, I don't like it anymore. When did he change? I don't know. I wasn't aware. But people change. They need your honest, number three, they need your honesty and openness. Men, you have an Achilles heel, which is uh, an Achilles heel is something that is your weakness. That's why you got to where you got to, and that's why you've done what you've done. And each, every man in this room has an Achilles heel. And your wife needs honesty and openness because I remember so clearly when my husband's Achilles heel was revealed in our marriage. And, and he came and he says, you know, I, I, I need to tell you something. Like, okay, what? And he goes, you know, this, 
because of my past, because of what I've done, because of where I've been, because of who I've associated with, because, 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 this is my weakness. This is my Achilles heel. And I looked at him straight in the eye, and I told him, I know. See, you husbands think you, you have your wife fooled. I am here to open up your eyes and tell you every wife knows their husband's Achilles heel. And she still stays with you. Your wife already knows. But the day that he actually admitted to his Achilles heel was the day that my love for him grew so much deeper. Because it was one thing for me to know, but it was another thing for him to know and admit that he had that weakness. Amen, women? Number four, she needs your financial support. She needs to know that, you know, when we first came up here, Christian mentioned it the other day, my we didn't have very much money, and my husband used any spare nickels and dimes and dollars not to buy diapers for Esteban, but to go and make flyers. And, you know, it was very, very difficult because we had no diapers, and, and, and it was hard when you, you're trying to have a kid and no diapers. And those would be arguments but you know uh, while I say that let me say this not everything in your house needs to be an argument it really doesn't pick your battles pick your battles not everything do you have to fight about sometimes you just let it go it's not that important so what if you have to watch you know for me it was having to watch a program that I didn't like Instead of insisting that I watch my program, it's not that important. I would wait till something bigger came up. Then, then. And the fifth thing that women need, they need your family commitment. They need to know that you're committed to the family. They need to know that you're committed to them. Let me let you know something. The reason that women have extramarital affairs is not because the other guy is better looking. Not because the other guy is more buff. Not even because he's a better dresser than you. But women have affairs because someone listened to them. That's all they did. They just listened. Someone thought they were important enough to be looked at and listened to. When you listen to your wife, you can learn how to love them like Jesus loves his wife, which is the church. You know how women spell love? Women spell love, L-I-S-T-E-N. Listen. When you treat your wife right, when you care for her, you're going to reap the benefits and the blessings. When she feels special to you, she will be able to meet your needs. There was a woman named, or there is a woman named Ruth Ryan. Her husband was Nolan Ryan. He was a pitcher who achieved pretty much every strikeout record there was. His name is in the Hall of Fame. And what his wife most remembers, she doesn't remember all of the records that he broke, and she doesn't remember all the big games, and she doesn't remember any of those things. And all the years, and he played baseball until he was over 40, something like 42, 43. I mean, he, he had a long stretch in his career. And the thing that she most remembers about her husband is that in every game, around the third or fourth inning, he would come out of the dugout. And he would pop his head out and he would scan the stands to look for his wife. And when he found her, 
He would nod to her. And she would wave. And then he'd go back in. Every game, he did that. This man broke major baseball league records. But what she remembers most is that he would find her and nod to her. See, that was her special moment. She didn't share with anyone else. That was just between her and him. Bigger than any no-hitter, bigger than any strikeout, bigger than any World Series, bigger than baseball, because it was baseball. Dwell with your wife with understanding. My husband was not always understanding in the early years, but we made a commitment to work at it, and we did. Early in our marriage, he had read that the stronger person in the marriage would always be the first one to humble themselves and apologize. And since we were both competitive, we always tried to be the first one to apologize. But I can tell you honestly, hands down, he was the stronger one. He was the most humble one because he's always the one that asked for forgiveness so much more than I did. My husband became a Hall of Fame baseball player to me. He was a great man who I thought changed. He was a man of God in the making. And men, you may never understand what makes your wife tick. Most of you are kind of clueless. But if you humble yourself and you trust Christ to live through you as you listen to your wife, you just might make your marriage work. And I hope that when you think about your spouse, you will want to serve her with the attitude that Christ would have you, just like he serves others. You aren't responsible for the actions of your spouse, but you are responsible and accountable for your actions. And it's never too late to start doing what's right, to do what you know would please the heart of God. Most men love their mom. In fact, Someone talking negatively about your mom, those are fighting words. You know there's going to be a fight. And I used to tell Chala before she married my son that how he treated me was how he was going to treat her. And I found this on my list of things, and you can put it up, Victor. I found this for every husband who loves his mom. It says this. A man who treats his woman like a princess is proof that he was born and raised in the arms of a queen. Some of you husbands need to make your mama proud. Some of you need to make your Lord proud. Some of you need to start treating your wife like the princess she is. And what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to ask every married man to come up to the altar. Just stand up and come on down. Just come on down to the altar, every married man. And then every single man, and don't be lying, you don't want to get married, I know you do. Every single man, you want to get married? Come right behind him. You know you do. 
reason I wanted the married men first is because I want you to know this. I asked you to come up here not because this is a, a commitment or a covenant between you and your wife. This is a commitment and a covenant between you and your Lord. How you treat your wife has nothing to do with her attitude. How you treat your wife has nothing to do with how she treats you. What it has to do is with your relationship with God. I wasn't always the best kind of wife. I didn't always treat my husband the way he should be treated, but I'll tell you this. His relationship with God never let him treat me any different. He didn't let my treatment of him change the way that his relationship with God was and his treatment of me. Behind the married men, you singles, you need to prepare yourself to be the best husband that you can be, and it's not easy. It's just not easy, but it, I'll tell you where to start. If it's possible, treat your mom like a queen. See, that's one thing I did is I looked at how my husband treated his mom. I wasn't dumb. I wasn't going to get a man who didn't treat his mom right because I knew that I knew that if he didn't treat his mom right, he wasn't going to treat me right. If you can treat your mom right, if she's still alive, treat her right. If she's not around, then you find a mom and you begin to treat her right so that when God brings someone into your life, you'll know how to treat them because you've gotten some practice. So if I can have every head bowed and every eye closed, I want you to stretch your arms out this way because when the men of the church take their role seriously, things begin to change. Marriages begin to change. Families begin to change. Lives begin to change. Attitudes begin to change. Lord, I pray for every married man that is up here right now. I know that every single one of them, no matter how long they've been married, they need to get closer to you so that they may treat their wives like the princess that they are. Every wife that is sitting in this room, Lord, I pray that you would continue to give her the hope of what she saw in her husband before they got married. I pray that every husband today would make a covenant with you, Lord, that no matter how things are going, that they would treat their wife like a princess, that they would treat her with the esteem and the respect and the love and the servant attitude that you have toward the church. I ask that you would change their mentality, then not expect them to be served, but I pray that every husband would serve their wife and serve them with a joyful attitude. I ask that you would revolutionize the machismo that most men pick up in the world and change that, that they may be able to be godly men. Godly men that would raise up godly children and godly families. Use their lives. I pray for every single man here. I pray that if they want to get married, Lord, that you give them a godly spouse. But I pray that you would change them first. That they would not take all of that stuff into a relationship. I come against the enemy that would want to bring people's past into their present. 
Give them victory. Give them victory. Give them victory. I pray for every man here who has a mom, that they would treat their mom with respect and love and honor, that they may be able to have the blessings in their life, that they may be able to live a long life. And I pray for every marriage, Lord, that you would continue to use this church to build strong marriages, to glorify you, not just at home, but at work, within their own families, and especially with their children, that their children would be able to rise up and call their mom blessed because they see how their dad treats their mom. And we give you all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. In Jesus' name, we all say Amen. Why don't you all stand? Whoops. This is a different type of a message. It's a different type of uh, delivery, but I do know this, is that the covenant is between you and God. Just between you and God. It's not your wife. It's between you and God. And some of you have some op honest and open communication that needs to be done with your wife. I don't think there's anything you're going to say to your wife that she won't, she'll be shocked. Like, oh, no, no me digas. She'll say, I know. I know. So I pray that as you go home, some of you are having your wives go, but before they go, that you would be able to let them know how much you love them and you want to treat them like a princess so that they would be able to go with freedom knowing that they have a man who's going to pray for them and love them and be prepared for them to come back home, not to a dirty house, but to a clean house with happy children that have been fed all week and clothed and bathed. And God will get the glory in your marriage. Amen? Give the Lord a hand. Come on, give the Lord a hand of praise. Amen? Men, don't move real quick. Just husbands real quick. I want to pray for all the husbands. Father, I pray, Lord God, touch the husbands, touch their hearts, touch their minds, touch their bodies, touch their souls. Be with them, Lord Jesus. Strengthen us. Father, we need your wisdom. We need your guidance. Lord, you created us for a reason and for a purpose. And our wives are within that purpose. Without no wife, Lord God, that we have, that you have given us, Lord, many of us, we, we would lose our purpose. God, we don't want to lose that. We don't want to profit the whole world and lose our wives. God, give us our wives. Strengthen us together, together, together for your honor and for your glory. In Jesus' name. And all together, the husbands, we all said. Come on, all the husbands, we said.